this out of the way. I'll grab it and use it, and it won't work. Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, Jared made the announcement last week that I'd be up here, and y'all came back, so <laughs> thanks a lot. I'm kidding. Um, it's good to see everybody. It's good to see everybody. I'm going to do something that's different. It's probably been frowned upon, I guess, for all of creation, but I'm going to play a game in the pulpit. That's not the frowned upon part. It's the game that I'm going to play. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. The part that's frowned upon is lying from the pulpit, right? <laughs> it's a tough crowd this morning. It's okay. It's okay. We'll get there. So I'm going to tell you three things, and it's up to you and your neighbors to figure out which one's the lie. Does everybody understand the game? It's like a middle school game, so it's pretty simple. But All right, so these are, two, these are three things about me and my personal life that you all have to figure out. One... I ran now if you know me personally, don't answer this because you're out. It's like you don't give it away. But I ran the Olympic torch. That was in two thousand one for the two thousand two Salt Lake City Olympics. So I ran the Olympic torch. I was shot in a drive by shooting, and obviously I lived. And I love deviled eggs. Now you've got like thirty seconds to figure out which one's the lie. You can talk to your neighbors, anybody you want to. So, Olympic torch, I ran the Olympic torch, I was shot in a drive-by shooting, and I love deviled eggs. All right, what we got? Deviled eggs. That's the lie? That's what I like. That's one truth. What's the other truth? I ran the Olympic torch. Guess what? Y'all are wrong. <laughs> I hate deviled eggs. Like, there's not anything that you could do to make me eat that. If you don't believe me, ask my family. They know all about it. I was shot in a drive-by shooting, but it was with a paintball gun. <laughs> Listen, when it happened, I didn't know it was with a paintball gun. I was scared. I thought that was it. I thought, you know, they tell you, like, when your life's almost over, everything just goes in slow motion, and it was real slow. Jonesy, you might have been there. I think you may have been. It was at Lambeth University. It was scary. But anyway, those are three things. Um, today, we're going to go to Matthew 25. Okay, uh, let's pray before we get started. God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your wisdom, your protection. We thank you for each one that's in here today. Uh, God, we know that they're here for a reason, and that reason uh, is directly related to what you want them to be here for. And we pray, God, that today that you'll work in the hearts of those um, that need to be moved. And God, we pray that we'll just be vessels for you, that you'll allow us to be used in a way that be pleasing to you, that will honor you with our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's go to Matthew 25. A long journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man, who had received five bags of gold, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has, who has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when Jared talked to me a couple weeks ago about delivering a sermon while he was gone, I was excited, and then he said, parables, and I was like, whoa, because parables are deep stories, as you can see here. So let's look at a few things before we really get into the meat of the story. First of all, where it says he was traveling, that means he's going on a long journey. This is not a short trip. This is not something that he's going to be gone for just a few days. He has extended himself at a distance that's much farther away from his home that prevents him from caring for the things that he has at home. So we go on vacations. We, we make sure that we have our, our animals taken care of. Um, if we have security systems at home, those are armed and ready to go. A lot of us take care of our thermostats and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, but we want to make sure that our, our place is secure. And so what he does with his money here is he makes sure that his money is secured. And he trusts three different people. And talents. Let's look at that. Now, talents, a lot of us think of a talent. I can sing or I can whatever. Uh, this is not exactly what it's talking about here in, in the scripture. A talent in this time, in biblical times, would equal about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. 20 years worth of money. So when the guy with one bag of talents got 20 years worth of wages to take care of. So we got the next one, which would be 40 years, and then the one with five talents got 100 years worth of wages. Now, what did a day laborer do? Day laborers typically, historically, back to that point, were people who would work for a day to make the money that they needed to buy the groceries, et cetera, for that night, and then they would go back tomorrow and do it all again. There was never anything saved. There was never anything that was put aside for the future. It was literally day-to-day -day living. So what did they do? They were farmers. They were herdsmen, fishermen, vineyards. Uh, they worked in vineyards. They were skilled laborers like craftsmen, tanners, metalsmiths, or carpenters. Okay? So we know that one was given 100 years of wages, one was given 40, and one was given 20. So now let's look to this. So now that we know the background, what does all this teach us? Well, first of all, so there's, I'm going to talk to you about four things, and then we're going to have three takeaway things from that. So first of all, the parable teaches us about ability. And this is interesting when you look at the parable. God has given each of us an ability. Now, some of us have one, okay? We all have something special to be sharing with the world that God gave us. And everybody got at least one thing. You were born with at least one thing. Now, some people have multiple things, and they've got many different abilities that God gave us. But everybody has at least one. Now, how do we know? Well, that's the hard part. That's up to us to try to dig in and figure out within our own lives 
of what do we have that God can use through us that we can give to other people, okay? So we look at this, we're going to look at Romans 12, 6 through 8, and we're going to realize that this ability is handled through stewardship and not ownership. So let's go here. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If you're an encourager, encourage well. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And you can see just from these three verses that there's a variety of gifts that we've all been given. And what is the purpose for our gift? It's to enrich God's kingdom. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Stewardship, I said just a second ago, the careful and responsible management of something that was entrusted to one's care. That means it doesn't belong to us. And that's sometimes confusing. We're given the ability, but that ability is not ours, it's God's. It's not, so we don't own it. And a lot of times in our world today, we think of the stuff that we have as we own, I own this, I own a home, I own a car, I own a whatever. But it's all God's stuff that he's given us. And we're not talking about homes. This is not a financial sermon. This is not to make sure that you save enough money forever. That, not that that's a bad thing. But this is about our abilities that God has given us. And we look here, Mark Hall, if you're, if you're familiar with Casting Crowns, some of you probably have heard of the band Casting Crowns. He's been around forever. He's a youth minister, actually. And I don't think they ever intended on being what they are as far as a band. But it was so good and they shared so much with people. They just went and they do what God is using. And look what he says here. Ministry is doing what you do. We use our gifts, our passions, what we're good at, the things we do well. We take those things. We lay them at the feet of Jesus. That's the key. And we say, how can I point people to you with this? And that's your ministry. And it's all about putting things at the feet of Jesus. Because we talk about Wednesday nights. If there's any of the kids in here that are here on Wednesday nights, we talk about Jesus. And we mention the name Jesus. And everything is Jesus-centered. The Bible that I have sitting up here is the Jesus-centered Bible. And it ties everything back to Jesus. Because if we're here today and Jesus is not our main focal point, we've missed everything. It's just a social group. It's a group of people that you want to hang out with, you want to play music with, you want to talk and drink coffee with. That's all this is. When Jesus is involved, it's completely different. When Jesus steps in, now it's life-changing. And more than that, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. So our abilities have been entrusted to us by God. Amen. He gave it to us. Whatever it is. And you can run from it, and you can be scared of using that ability. You can say, well, I'm not good enough. Well, guess what? Nobody else in here is either. That's what's awesome about it. The song that they sing, Nobody, if you've heard it, it talks about I'm just a nobody trying to be somebody. And that's all you're going to be. You're just a nobody. And we're going to mess up. We're going to fail. We're going we're to miss the point altogether at sometimes. We're going to feel like we just can't do it. But God's going to say, man, you got it. I can, you can do this. And he's going to put encouragers. Look at the verse of encouragers. That's why encouragers are so important. We need somebody to say, hey, you did a good job today. Or, hey, keep going. I know it's been hard. Just keep fighting. Because 
We will answer to God. That's the second part of this. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But we're going to answer to God for what we have done with our abilities. And I'm going to dig into that in just a second. I don't want to go too far yet. So the next thing, next point, number two, is responsibility. So not only have we been given an ability to do what God wants us to do. And now these things were predestined before we were born. He put that in you, which I think is amazing. Like, I can't think that far ahead. And God already said, before you were in the womb, he knew you, and he had formed you, and he had made you. Those abilities are there. We're given responsibility to care for the master's possessions. So in Galatians 6, 5 through 9, it says, For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those will live only to satisfy their own, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Amen. And that's awesome to think about. Like at some point, it's all going to come full circle. If I expect God to bless me today for what I'm doing on this earth, I may miss what I'm supposed to get when I get to heaven. And that's a very scary point because we often want to be told, and I'm, I'm the same way, that you did an awesome job. Well, that's great, but it's God's. And if I get all this glory on this earth, then what am I going to get when I get to heaven? Because I've already received the blessings I'm supposed to get. That responsibility means we just do what we're supposed to do because God needs us to do it. Um, it's up to us to figure out our gift. I said that a minute ago. We're supposed to utilize it to grow the kingdom of God. When we look here, people are given gifts. Some people are given the gift to pray. Um, I'll share a story with you in just a second about a prayer that was prayed that changed things or has changed things and can change things. But let's look at responsibility. Uh, Matthew 25, 21, and 23. And notice, I didn't put 21 through 23. It's 21 and 23. And this is not typically the way things are done. But this verse is repeated twice in the Bible. One, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't that cool to find out that... You know, Jesus is speaking in the form of a parable, and we're looking at money, and we're thinking about money, but this is so much deeper. This is your ability, and at the end of the days, when it's all said and done, we're going to get to God, and he's either going to tell us what this verse says, well done, or he's not. We all have at least one thing, but you may get more. You may gain more. What do you do with your kids or with employees if you're in management? When somebody does a really good job with what you've given them, what do you do? You give them more. Now, we don't want to give more to the point where we break people down, but hey, if you're responsible and you can handle this responsibility, then what happens next? I'm going to give you more responsibility because I trust you. Because I know you can do what needs to be done. I know you can carry out the wishes that need to be carried out or the deeds that need to be carried out. And God's the same way. 
Now, we may not know it all the time. We may not feel it all the time because God's not necessarily always patting us on the back like we expect today's culture. But he's, he's giving you more. And he's saying, hey, you did a great job. I want to give you some more. Okay? Christ celebrates with us. And this is the thing I think is so neat. And I'm going to have to tie my shoe because it's going to drive me crazy if I don't. Some of y'all have noticed it. It's, I mean, I'm just like, if you know me well enough, no, it's short term here. Can't put too much in my head. Not time to go yet either, so good. All right, so come and share your master's happiness. In this Bible, it says this, let's celebrate together. Listen, when Hucky comes home and he's done something awesome and he's excited about it, you know what we do? We celebrate. It doesn't mean we throw a huge party every time. I mean, he used to get to the point where he wanted to party everything we did, like graduated from kindergarten, let's have a party, you know? We did. Graduated from preschool all three years. <laughs> I just think that sounds funny. <laughs> I was a three-year preschooler too, but like, you know, we... We celebrated. We got excited about it. Hey, great job. We're so proud of you. You did this. It's an accomplishment. God is the same way. He wants to celebrate with us. So he doesn't give us these abilities and be like, I don't think so-and-so can handle it. I don't think Adam can do this one. He gives it to you knowing that you can, equips you with the right people, the right potential, the right atmosphere to make you successful. And it says, go get it. And it's up to us to go do it. Now, it's hard. Jody and I were talking earlier. About a year ago, I made a declaration. I told the devil, if you want to keep bringing it, you just keep bringing it because I'm going to fight. And he's brought it, man. <laughs> he, he stepped his game up. And Jody said, you know, I learned that, but you got to be careful with that because you got to say, I'm not going to fight. God's going to fight. Yeah. And that's a huge point. Like, I learned that this morning because we were having that conversation just this morning because God will go with us. He will equip you. He gives you what you need, but we have to step out, but he doesn't leave us hanging, and that's awesome. Amen. The next thing we got to do, so we gotta, we've got the ability, we've got the responsibility, and the next thing we have to do is speak. And sometimes this is the hard part because if you had told me 20 years ago that I was going to be standing, not necessarily just in this building, but standing in front of a group of people talking about Jesus, I'd be like, <laughs> Nope, not doing that. Because I was the kid that sat in class, and you'll never know this, but I, I sat in class and I would not raise my hand. And when the teacher was like, who wants to read? I was like, because y'all know if you make eye contact, most of the time you get called on. So I wouldn't make eye contact. I tried to turn my head. I had speech class as a junior in high school, and that was like terrorizing. It was good, but it was horrible at the same time, and I didn't like it. But God gives you the ability and he gives you the responsibility. And then he wants you to speak on it. Now, speaking doesn't always mean you stand in front of a group of people and you give a sermon or you give a lesson or you give a motivational talk. That's not always it. Speaking sometimes is the encouragement that somebody needs or the giving that somebody needs. You know somebody that needs give. Be a cheerful giver, too. That's, that's important. You can give, and if you're grudging, then that's not going to work. If you cheerfully give, that's awesome. That's how we speak. So let's look at this in First Peter. God has given each of you a gift of his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. That's what's cool. 
like I played baseball growing up, and I feel like baseball has prepared me to like work in the church, which is not necessarily the connection you think you would make. Because in like faith, you've got to do what you're supposed to do. Everybody here has a responsibility, an ability to take out and do what they're supposed to do. But it also takes everybody here to do what needs to be done. There's ministries all over this church that people are serving in. And they're doing amazing jobs. And it's allowing our church to grow. But it's allowing God's kingdom, more importantly, to grow. And I know when I was playing baseball, if I went 0 for 4, I didn't help my team. Most of the time. There's times, if you get deep into it, you can talk about that. But if I didn't do what I was supposed to do and I made errors like crazy, then I wasn't helping my team. And if our whole team did that, we were going to lose. But if everybody pitched in and did their part, we were going to be successful. And the work of the church is very similar to that. Because I can't do everything. And I'm not supposed to do everything. And it's a good thing I don't do everything. Because if I was standing up here with a guitar or the drums singing, then it, the crowd would be a lot lighter than it is right now. Because, I mean, people would be taking hearing aids out, you know. and You don't want to hear it. It's not good. It's, uh, that's not my ability. I can't do that. And so I don't do that. Now, does that mean that we're bad because we don't step out and do things? No, it's not. Because a lot of times when we do things we're not supposed to do, we can hold other people back. We can hold the kingdom back. So we've got to be really careful and prayerful about what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to speak. Um, also, in this one, Romans 14, I didn't put this one on the screen, but you can listen to me as I read it. It's three verses. So why do you judge your brother or sister in Christ? Or why do you think that you are better than they are? We will all stand before God and he will judge us all. Yes, the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, everyone will bow before me. Everyone will say that I am God. So each of us have to explain to God about the things that we do. And we see that in this story, that each of us have to explain to God the things that we do. It can be the good things. We read this one again. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five back. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. The man with two bags of gold also came and he said, Master, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. I have gained two more. When the master came back, he wanted to talk to his servants and say, what did you do with what I gave you? That's so big because when our lives are over, we're going to look one-on-one, -on -one, Jesus, right in the eye, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And he's going to be really excited. He's going to be really frustrated because we see here, not only is there good, but there's bad. Matthew 25, 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. What happened with him? He was thrown out. And it's very simple. There's no gray area. You either did what you were supposed to do or you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And today it seems like we're always wanting to like, like argue or, or make a, um, a defense mechanism that goes off in our body. And we say, well, I did this, but... And there's not going to be that. See, I gave you this ability and you did this or you didn't do this with your ability. And that's so crazy to think that that's where we are um, in our society, the, fir the fourth thing, so I'm going with four points. I'm like, a, I'm like the three and the seven guy. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody know what, it, what I mean by that? Like you do seven things for good luck. I'm real superstitious. 
Amber and I were talking about this yesterday. Uh, one of our favorite shows, the guy said, I'm not superstitious, I'm a little stitious. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> I'm extra stitious, I'm not superstitious. I'm like, I'm extra superstitious. It's, I mean, like, really, it's bad. Um, be unique. So point number four, be unique. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And that's where you get peace knowing. If you're in prayer and you are in a relationship with Jesus the way that we're supposed to be, the way that we're called to be and asked to be, we know because it was already prepared for us beforehand. It wasn't like, oh, man, I think so-and-so would be good at that. I'm going to throw this down there from heaven. No, it doesn't work like that. It was already here. It was already prepared. He went ahead, and right there it was, that we should walk in them. And that's the second part. It was prepared, but we have to walk. So not only is it there, but we have to follow it. And that's been a hard part for me sometimes, because sometimes I don't want to step out in faith too much, because I'm like, what happens if it doesn't work? Like, I'm a teacher. That's a cushy little profession, just being honest. Because I had insurance and retirement. And to me, that was safe. You know, 27 years and I'm done. And I'm telling you, it's me, 27 on the nose, like day one of 27. I'm going to talk to John. John's still working. I'll be like, John, you got to get me out of here, man. I love what I do, but now when it's time to go, it's going to be time to go. And if you're a teacher, you probably know what I'm talking about. Like, let's move on. Okay? I went into the profession because it was safe and it was comfortable. Because I live a safe, comfortable life. I'm not a risk taker like some people are. Okay? I don't just jump in and be like, let's do this. Now, I like the zip line and I like my goals in life would be to go to the moon. Like literally, I really want to do that. Uh, I want to ride a real bull, like real live, not the hillbilly days, like the real thing. Like, but I, like, there's a line that I draw that I'm like, I'm not jumping in there. But God gives us these abilities and he wants us to jump. Because he says, they're prepared for you, now walk. And sometimes it's really hard to walk. Everyone doesn't have to work exactly the same to accomplish the goals for God's kingdom. And so when you look at somebody and say, well, I'm doing this and they're doing that, don't, don't do that. It's a scary spot to be in because what they're doing could be doing just as much, if not more, for God's kingdom than what you are. So it's not a, it's not a, a race necessarily, but it's, hey, let's all do this thing together. Because we had, a kid, we had kids on our team that were shortstops. And coach came to me one fall and he said, Adam, I want you to work at second base. I'm like, awesome. I said, I just want to play. I don't care if you put me on the other side of the fence. I just want to get some at-bats in. I'm, I'm good. And I came back after uh, fall break. We went in for, after Christmas and he said, Adam, um, the guy that was supposed to come and play shortstop didn't show up. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I know where this is going. And he's like, I need you to play it. And I'm like, uh, I don't think this is going to be good. It wasn't where I needed to be, I felt. But coach felt like I needed to be there. So I went and I did the best job I could do. It wasn't comfortable, but it's where God needed me, or where coach needed me. He wasn't God. But it's where coach needed me to be. And that's where I did. And that's the thing here. We don't all have to work, work the same way. Because as a shortstop, I could look at the catcher and be like, he's not doing anything, you know? Or I could look at the right fielder. He didn't get a ball all day. He didn't help us win. That's not the case. Everybody's there to do the job they're supposed to do to help us accomplish the goal we're supposed to help to accomplish. And that's the same thing with our lives. We're all supposed to help 
accomplish goals for God's kingdom. Nowhere in this scripture that we've read today, okay, or those scriptures that we've read, does it say how the men gained more on their possessions. And that to me was like eye-opening when I finally figured that out after I'd read it like 20 times. There's nowhere in the scripture that says how the men gained more on their possessions. That means it doesn't tell us what their specific talent was. It just tells us that there was one talent or more and that they went and they followed what God wanted them to do and they did what they were supposed to do and God followed through and allowed his will to happen. So today you may be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to get from this point to that point. And everybody's road map isn't exactly the same. And that's what's so cool about being a Christian is it's unique. What you do and what I do are completely different. We might look different and talk different and act different, but at the same thing, what is our goal? Our goal is to get to heaven. And that's what we see here. So how they did it wasn't extremely important, but that they did it was important. We all have different experiences. And we need to serve the way that God gifted us. And that's serve wholeheartedly. And that's serve when it's hard. When it doesn't feel comfortable. When it's not easy. Um, We had a week, I'm telling you, we had a week. Some of you know about it, some of you don't. Um, It seems like every time you do something and God's like, hey, all right, let's go do this. Uh, The evil one comes after you. And man, I'm telling you, this week he brought it. Um, I don't know if I can read you this message. But I'm going to try. Because we struggled. And I kept thinking, I need a story to make this real. And we had a story. Amber and Hucky were involved in an accident Monday morning. She called me as calm as she could be, and I was like, it must have been a fender bender. And I got there, I was like, whoa. And so we went literally um, into just a whirlwind. It felt like this week was just almost like a fog in some situations, some ways that we look at it. But God was there the whole time because people that were stuck in traffic who were late for work and late for school or late for appointments were praying because God had given them that ability. And I don't know what those prayers didn't save their lives. I don't know. But they did what they were supposed to do. We got a message from one of his teachers that said, I'm sorry, Amber had messaged her and and just told her that we were struggling. Hucky was struggling. And she said, I'm sorry, I was laying with my daughter when I saw your message. I woke up at 2.53. This is in the morning. I woke up at 2.53 to your request. I went straight to my desk, pouring into the word with Huck on my mind. My Bible was open to the familiar passage about us not having a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. I'm sure you know it. I've quoted it so many times, but this week I feel that our Father revealed to me that when I read this, I'm thinking of my own power, love, and sound mind. I'm still relying on myself even when I cling to the Scripture. He is the gift. His Spirit is what we, quote, stir up. And the Scripture says He is power, love, and a sound mind. And I think I've been picturing my own self just made better by Him when it's all Him. It's all said and done. It's all Him. I'm not sure if that's relatable, but she wanted to share it and said that she would continue to struggle or to pray. And I know the Lord placed this, and this is what really touched me because I know God was already working. 
and that she answered the ability that God had given her to do what she was supposed to do, and it impacted us. I don't know what my job, my responsibility is not impacting somebody, and you don't either, and it may be very small in your mind, but it could be huge in God's kingdom because the only people that knew those prayers were going up in that vehicle were the people that were in the car in God. It was silent. There was no pray. No, there was no light around the vehicle. Nobody came up to him and said, thank you for praying. Nothing. It, they knew it, and God knew it. We left our house later that day than we had planned, and my children and I prayed fervently. At the time, they had no idea who was ahead of them. They couldn't see the vehicles. They just knew they were stopped, and there was an accident. Um, I pray that God be glorified and Huck. Um, be saved if he's not already. I pray that through the struggle, your family experiences unity with the Lord, with each other, um, and that we would seek God the way that we're supposed to be. And I thought, somebody woke up. Like, I'm a teacher. I'm not, I don't wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning for a whole lot. And when Amber wakes me up at 2 o'clock in the morning because somebody's shooting through her house or there's somebody, this morning I think somebody, you an electric drill, somebody was coming in with an electric drill, I think she said it's about 2.30 I don't do very well, I'm like, and so I'll just struggle through the house and just like, go check, and nope, nobody's out there, go check this door, and I, like, I, my sleep is important, you know what I mean? Some of y'all are the same way that I am. She got up at 2.53 in the morning and stayed up till 4.30 praying for us. If that's not a gift that God's given somebody that they're using, I don't think we'll ever see one. That may not impact you as much as it did me because I felt it. I know it's there. And some of the rest of you all told us you're praying, and I know I felt it. Like you can feel it when people pray for you and do what they're supposed to do. And that is what we're supposed to be doing. That's real. And I thought, God, thanks for the story, but I didn't really need it that way. Like, you know, could have hit the pole at church again like I did once with my truck, and you've just been like, but hey. Whatever God wants, we've got to go with. And he used this to get to us and to reach other people. Let them use their gifts, and they did it, which is awesome. So what do we take away from all this? I've got a couple of things. What does it all mean? You have the keys to the kingdom. Man, that's scary to think about, isn't it? Like you ever go to somebody's house, and it's a huge house, and you're like, you're, like one of my buddy's dog sits for somebody, and they got like a big house, and... He's got their keys. He's like, man, look. You know? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, we've got the keys. Like, this is even bigger. We've got the keys to God's kingdom. There's one key that opens the door for me to get in, and I've got it. To me, that's crazy. The second thing, heaven is at stake. And mythically, we look at heaven like this place, you know, like way up there, and it's with the Greek gods and Roman gods and all that. But it's not. It's, this is real. Like heaven is for real. You've seen the book. You've seen the movie. Like this is it. So we've got the keys. Heaven is at stake. We will not be meeting with an earthly master as the men in the story met with an earthly master. We're going to be meeting with a heavenly father. And then we're going to get to the point in the story where we're going to answer for what we do. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not for human masters. And that steps the game up. Because when our bosses aren't working, sometimes we lag back. 
March Madness comes on, right? And we're watching March Madness on our computer. And one year I was watching this cool thing, had this boss button, and it pulled up an Excel spreadsheet. And I was like, that's cool. And so I clicked it because I was watching one of the ball games while the kids were working. Trust me, I had been teaching, don't get me wrong. But I'd like for a few minutes, I was just trying to see. But then I thought, I teach history. <laughs> like when do historians use Excel spreadsheets in middle school? So then I thought I was in trouble. Like we do that a lot of times in life. We work like we're working for the person who's watching us or who we're going to answer to at the end of the week or who we have to tell how many things we sold or how many people we brought in. But remember, God is the one we're working for. Yes, we're working at a job or a business or, or a place of employment, but God is watching and he's using us. And not only are we helping further that business, but we're helping further God's kingdom with our actions and our behaviors and our gifts. So God's watching. The last thing is don't lose sight of the goal. This happens to me a lot. I've got goals that are way out there and I lose sight of them. I can't remember how many years it is till I retire. It's 15. <laughs> no, I lose sight of the goal. Sometimes you just get caught up in life and you lose sight of what's important. You lose sight of the goal because all the short-term things that happen take you off. They take you off a path and you get on that curvy path, which is scary. Immediate gratification is a serious issue. Sometimes we want to know that what we've done is okay and that it's good. In our lives, in our walk with Christ, immediate gratification doesn't really happen. Because I'm 35 and I haven't gotten heaven yet. And I'm on my way and that's where I want to go and that's my goal. But can we lose sight of that? Because we get caught up in the world. We get caught up in our lives. We get caught up in us. A lengthy amount of time in this situation can cause us to be servant number three instead of servant one or two. I really feel like if you look at the story, I feel like servant number three may have lost track with what was going on and how long the master was gone and just put the, 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 the talents in the ground. I said, well, I'll answer it when he gets back. Servant one and two were working fervently to do what they were supposed to do. Servant three didn't. We have to remember that we have to be on the offense. We have to play offense. We are given the armor of God, right? And like this week, just this week when we were attacked, and I feel like evil came right at us, we have to go back at him and be like, God's got this. You're not going to win. I don't care what you do. Keep bringing it, right? I'm not going to win it, but God's going to win it. He's got it. So we have to be aggressive. We have to play offense. We have to know that what we are able to do is possible. There's one common denominator in all this stuff. One common denominator in everything that we see. God gave us all the gifts we have. Now, they may be different. Your, your gift may be different from mine. But God gave them to us. And to me, that's what's awesome, is that it was from God. And if it's from God, it can't fail. It can't fail. Uh, most of you know that I teach history, and I, I like cool history stories. A lot of times I like the story behind the story, not necessarily the fact that you see like the Boston Massacre happened on this date or Boston Tea Party, but I want to know like, what they were doing behind the scenes and all the cool stuff that nobody knows. And so there's a story about a guy named Hernan Cortez, who was a Spanish explorer. He was a conquistador, which is one of the coolest words 
And they changed our content this year, and I teach about 1,600 on instead of the Explorers, and now I don't get to say Conquistador every year in class. And that was really the highlight of the whole year was Conquistador for me and for the kids, and it happened usually in August, and so now it's kind of like, well, they got to look forward to. Um, Cortez was a Conquistador. Now, we also know history that some his- historical stories are, are perfectly accurate, and some are, are depictions of what one person saw or somebody else saw. And some of it can be translation issues. Somebody wrote the wrong word, and they were in a hurry. So let's read this story. In the story, um, we learn that we should be like Cortez, the great Spanish explorer who burned his entire fleet upon reaching their destination. See, they sailed from Spain to Central America. And when they got here, his order was to go out and burn the ships. That's crazy. Why did he want to do that? Well, let's continue. He destroyed his ships so that when the going got rough, his men would have no means of retreat. It was do or die trying. No going back, only pressing on. History debates whether it happened. Um, Cortez, in his own writing, explained that we're all in this and there's no turning back. That part of the story is largely true in sentiment, if not in actuality. We know that they actually dismantled the ships. So before I lose my authenticity of the story, I want you to know that. They ran all but one of their ships aground and physically stripped the vessels of all their rigging, their sails, their weapons, tackle, and they used the materials and timbers to build the necessary homes for their troops. After dismantling their ships, each man, as, as Cortez reports, then had nothing to rely on apart from his own hands and the assurance that they would conquer and win the land or die in the attempt. This was not motivated by bravery and commitment, and that's what's alarming, but solely to prevent his men from escaping the trials and dangers ahead and their conquest by leaving for the safety and resources of nearby Cuba. They did leave one ship intact, keeping riches and treasures to be sent back to their king in Spain. The boat also afforded a remaining opportunity for higher-ranking men to beat a hasty retreat if things went bad. The mistake in this, we think, was this word, quebrando, which is a word that means the boat breaking. It was thought that bad handwriting made it look like quemando, which was burning. So we know one way or the other, the ships were either burned or destroyed to prevent us from going back. And I think in our lives, in our faith, we can look at that and understand that we can apply that to ourselves too. Because a lot of times, following Jesus is not easy. Because we have reservations, we've got ships behind us that have all kinds of baggage All the things that we know we've done that we should have never done, the mistakes that we've made, they make us feel inadequate, incapable, unprepared. I can't do that. All the I can't statements that we make are sitting in those ships. And when things get really hard, when the devil attacks, and he will, when he attacks you full force, you say, I'm finished. I'm going to go back. And that's exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to go back because that's another soul he's gained. But you see, if those ships behind us are gone, there's no retreat. We can't go back. We have to wholeheartedly and fully commit ourselves 
to Christ. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second one. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second one. No idea where I'm going to go, but I'm going to go. And there's nothing back there that I can go back to. I'm completely leaving it. There's a new song out some of you may have heard, and we're going to listen to it in just a second. But I want to read you some of the lyrics. It's called Burn the Ships. How did we get here? We're cast away on a lonely shore. I can see in your eyes, dear, that you can't take a moment more. And he says, burn the ships. I'll read all that in just a second. Um, Don't let it arrest you, this fear, the fear of falling again. And if you need a refuge, I'll be right here until the end. If you need a refuge, I'll be right here until the end. Goes on to the third verse. So flush the pills. This is a true story. Flush the pills, face the fear, and feel the weight disappear. We're coming clean. We're born again. Our hopeful lungs can breathe again. And then the, ver- the, the chorus, step into a new day. We can rise up from the dust and walk away. And we can dance on the heartache. So light a match, leave the past, and burn the ships. The guy that authored the song, his wife was having some issues in her pregnancy, and they, she got a prescription for some medication, and she was hooked. And so she called him. And she said, you have to come home. Because if you don't come home, I'm going to die. I can't beat this. And when, she, when he got home, she took the pills, and he'll, you can read the story, and flushed them down the toilet. And that's where the song came from. Flushed the pills. Because for her, what was holding her back was that medicine that she couldn't say no to. When she flushed it down the drain, she could move forward. As long as the medicine was there, she was going to stick to it. There's something today that's holding somebody in here back. I don't know what it is. God knows. I don't know. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's past sin or sin that's holding you now. Maybe it's you feel inadequate. I can't do this. There's no way I can possibly go through with this because people who know me know the type of person that I've been and they know that if I do commit to Jesus, they'll say that it's not real, that nobody can make that transformation. But I promise you today that you can, but you have to step out even when you don't know where the second step is. If you would, just stand as as the music plays.